0: The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.
1: Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. I am Bill Donahue, and I'll be taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the 17th day of January 2021. We've got our engineer Brian Graves here, and he's doing a great job across the way. And we have a tremendous show lined up for you tonight, as always. Up first, we'll talk to one of the greatest ever done a New York Jets uniform. Hall of Fame running back, the great Curtis Martin, will join us. In the second half, we'll welcome in another local hero. He played in the ABA for the Nets. Uh, just an amazing leaper. Exciting ball player in the run and gun style of the ABA. Ollie Taylor will be with us. So sit back and relax, get comfortable, enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on WGBB. We have some great people with some great stories up ahead. As always, before we begin, I invite you to follow us on social media. We're out there. Take a look on Facebook. It's called WGBB Sports Talk New York. Check out that page. Give it a like and follow us, uh, every day if you can. Now, you'll find sports information there and, uh, give us a look. Give us a like. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter. It's at WGBB Sports Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at B Donahue WGBB and if you miss a show don't sweat cuz all past shows are out on the website cataloged for you. So that that's so, the social media business out of the way. Let's get to our first guest. He played 12 seasons in the NFL, 9 of them of course with the New York Jets, five-time Pro Bowl selection, two-time first team all-pro. He had his number 28 retired by the Jets and of uh, of course he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, in 2012. It's an honor and a pleasure to welcome in tonight the great Curtis Martin. Curtis, good evening.
0: Good evening, Bill. Thanks for having
1: me. Oh, it's great to have you. Now, You grew up in the Pittsburgh area, Curtis. Who were your teams and who were your favorite players back when you were a kid?
0: Well, you know, I I didn't grow up being quite a a football fan. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I didn't. It took me a long time to actually like football. I enjoyed playing football in gym class and things like that, but I was never really a huge football fan.
1: Okay, that's that, that's but one, fair. one
0: person I did like. One person I did, uh-huh. And it was more so for his character. And when I did watch his tenacity was Walter Payton. That was that was. that was the closest I was to being a fan. To an Um, idol,
1: yeah. Well, you picked a good one, Curtis, that's for sure. Now, it's documented when I went through a a bio of yours, to put it mildly, you faced some tough situations as a youngster, some adversity. What did this adversity teach you?
0: Uh, Well, number one, it it, it taught me that the adversity didn't have to define me. You know, I know that a lot of my friends or family members, uh, they became a, a victim of the adversity, and um, as a result, many of them are unfortunately dead or in jail or something really bad has happened to them, and um, so... The adversity has taught me that, you know, I know that I wouldn't be who I am without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things that I've been through and that I saw as a young kid, I don't think kids should have to see. I don't think anyone should have to see, or a kid or do adult. But um, having gone through those things, when I look back, I wouldn't take it back, um, not one bit, because I really appreciate the way I've learned to overcome adversity and the way I've learned to confront things and deal with things in life, and it's made me the man who I am today.
1: It's made you a very strong individual. That's certainly right, Curtis. Now, you had many offers on the collegiate level, but you decided to stay close to home and become a pit panther,
0: correct? Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, and that was mainly because, like I said, I, I didn't really want to play football. I, I ended up really having that good senior year, and, Got recruited to a lot of different places, and because I really didn't want to go, I just figured, you know, Pittsburgh would be the, you know, the the the, the path of least resistance for me because <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't necessarily think that I would make it through a full collegiate career.
1: Yeah, understood, Curtis. But uh, you had the option at one point to play one more season at Pittsburgh or enter the draft. You chose that. Uh, analysts said that. If you stayed that other year at Pittsburgh and were free of injuries, you probably would have been a first-round selection, but that really didn't it didn't bother you at all.
0: No. 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 Um, you know, and the story about that was that I had went to speak to the coach about it, uh-huh. and, um, you know, I just wanted his advice. You know, I just said, you know, this is just something that I'm thinking about because, truth be told, I didn't want to stay in school. And I knew that I wanted to get away from Pittsburgh, but it just didn't make sense for me to try to go into the NFL. I had been injured just about every year that I was there. And so um, what I did was I went to the coach, and his response is what really just pushed me into the NFL because I was so um, – um, and, again, whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent on my behalf, I was just – determined that i wasn't going to go back and play uh for Pitt that year just mm-hmm. because he and i didn't have the best conversation
1: sure yeah I, I can go along with you with that curtis now you made your nfl debut uh i think it was against the pats in a or uh well you no, you were with the pats that's it and it was against the cleveland yeah, browns it was against the browns right yeah you ran yeah. you ran for 30 yards on your first carry you remember that first carry curtis
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that because it it was almost, well, I had just become convinced that I could actually play in the NFL during uh, the preseason when we played against Detroit. And Bill Parcells, he told me and, you know, later that he was just trying to test me to see what I was made of. And he knew that I was, you know, very, you know, like, real hyper and everything because I was starting the first game of the season. I mean, the first preseason game. And so he gave me the ball, I believe, eight times in a row. And um, that was where I first, it was almost like I got broken in. Yeah, And that was when I first became confident that I could even exist or play in the NFL. And then to start off my career with that first run, it just gave me a, a whole lot of confidence. I,
1: I bet you it would for sure. You, you, uh, racked up 102 yards that day, the first Patriots rookie to rush for 100 yards during their debut. Uh, you, you went on to, to make the Pro Bowl. You were offensive rookie of the year. Uh, just a tremendous season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, um, you know, one of the things that it did was it, it really made me grateful. Um, and I, I began to see football beyond my, dislike for it, and I began to really see it uh, for the platform that it was and how it had the ability to change my life.
1: Interesting. and uh, You came to the Jets. We're we're all delighted about that. Those those were some great years. How did Bill Parcells influence you to sign with the Jets?
0: Well, he didn't have to do too much influencing because I had already determined that no matter what, I was going to stay with the Patriots. And I knew that the only way I would ever leave the Patriots in my mind at that time was if it was to be with Bill Parcells because he was the one who drafted me. Mm-hmm. So when he left, you know, it was almost as though my, my father figure had left. And so when I, when the opportunity came up to go to the Jets, I knew that that was the only other team I would go to. I, I felt. Yeah, embedded and, and loyal to the Patriots at the time.
1: Follow the big tuna. That's the theme, right, Curtis? That's, that's for sure. Now yeah. your first seven seasons yeah. with the Jets, Curtis, you only missed one game. You made the pro bowl three times. How do you account for your ability to stay in the lineup like that injury free?
0: Well, I, I can't describe it as injury free. Um, uh, one of the things that I prided myself on is I knew I wasn't the biggest or strongest or fastest or even quickest running back in the NFL, but I prided myself on being the toughest. You know, mm-hmm. um, I knew that I was able to play and perform at a very high level with extreme amounts of pain. And that was something that I, you know, just kind of nurtured over the years. Um, and, and for me, the more pain I was in, the more I would challenge myself, and it gave me some of that mental toughness that mm-hmm. helped me to have the career that I ended up having.
1: Coaches uh, that stress mental toughness usually succeed. I found that out, Curtis, through the years. Now, you, you deemed it was deemed a straight strain right knee in the second game of the season against Miami in two thousand five, uh, tackled by Zach Thomas. Uh, The MRI was negative, and he continued to play through the season. Was there a problem with that hit from Zach Thomas?
0: Oh yeah, the MRI wasn't negative. Um, um, It it showed that I had a pretty bad tear in my knee, and what what it also showed was that the cartilage had been ripped out from between my knees. So. You know, it was bone on bone when I would run. You know, it was, and after a while, after you run with bone on bone for a, a long time, I mean, it just begins to feel like you have glass in between your knees, and it was, it was extremely painful. And right. I'll never forget the doctor telling me, he said, Curtis, look, I've seen you play with things that I've never seen anyone play with before. He said, but, he said, but I'll tell you this. He said, um, this is one thing that if you play with it, um the, the what's different about this is that if you play with this injury, you'll need a a a cane to walk uh by the time you're thirty eight. Wow. And so uh, <laughs> that made it very easy and made it a clear decision that it was just time for me to retire.
1: Yeah. I'm going bone on bone myself right now, Curtis, and it's it's not a it's not pl- pleasurable. But I'm not in the NFL either, so <laughs> I can understand where you were. We've got the great Curtis Martin with us tonight on uh, Sports Talk New York. Now. On uh, November twenty seventh, 2005, you joined uh, really some elite company. Barry Sanders, your man Walter Payton, and Emmitt Smith as the only backs to rush for 14,000 yards in a career. That must have really went well with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I've never really been a statistic guy. I know a lot of guys say that to sound humble, and but for me, I, I've just really never been a statistic guy Um most people will tell me uh, about some of the things that I've accomplished, you know, when I accomplished them when I was playing. But um, for me, it, 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 more than uh, being in the elite group of guys, what it did for me was it showed me, and, and it somewhat set set a precedent for my life, that if I can do something that I didn't really want to do, that I wasn't all that passionate about to this level, then you know there shouldn't be anything that I couldn't do in life, right? That I want to accomplish.
1: That's outstanding, Curtis. Really is. Now you ended your career with fourteen thousand one hundred and one rushing yards. That's that was the fifth highest total in NFL history by that time. I, I don't know in in the Hall of Fame voting why you weren't a first-ballot Hall of Famer, but uh, there's always people out there. It goes the same with baseball. Why didn't Ken Griffey Jr. get 100% of the vote? There's always somebody out there that's going to vote against you. I don't understand it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I I, I actually I can't say that I disagree with uh, the voting, because at the time, the Hall of Fame, they had never taken in two. well, I won't say never, but, as far as I knew, at a skill position, they weren't taking two of the same guys. Um, and that year, I was up against Marshall Falk. Oh, boy. And, yeah, yeah I, I had more yards than Marshall Falk, but at the end of the day, I, I didn't think that I deserved to be in there more than Marshall. I think Marshall was one of those backs who was very unique. I mean, he was just as dangerous out of the backfield as he was as a runner. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, and and he was one of those guys who changed the game, in a sense. So I definitely feel like he should have gotten in before me, and he did. And, you know, I, I got in the next year, and for me, it, it, it meant just as much. Sure.
1: I can see that, would going in with your man, Bill Parcells. I just wanted to check with you, Curtis. I had read that following your retirement, you uh, expressed some interest in becoming an owner of an NFL team. Do you still uh, have that uh, impetus?
0: Uh yes, yes. I you know, I've come really close a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh in hindsight, um, I'm I'm somewhat glad that those situations haven't happened yet. I uh, I think that I'm much better prepared now and um I'm not in as much of a rush. I'm not as anxious to do it um as I was initially. Um you know I, I think that when it happens it'll be the right time and it'll be the right situation for mm-hmm. me
1: I, I wish the jets would go up for sale and you could make a bid on those guys curtis because i'm not too happy oh, yeah, with the, the ownership for sale.
0: I, I would do everything to be be there oh yeah us that, too that, I believe. that would be that would be the dream yeah.
1: now you, you uh involved yourself in various charities curtis uh the and one thing I found interesting was the Curtis Martin Job Foundation. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Uh, it's actually the Job Foundation. And, um, uh, you know, I, I started that foundation my rookie year. And the premise of it, the mission of it, was to help single mothers. Because I was raised by a single mother, and mm-hmm. I watched her struggle to raise me and keep food on the table and clothes on my back. And, you know, one of the things that I'll never forget was that at six years old, six and seven years old, she had to teach me how to stay in the house by myself until she got home from work at night around eight or nine o'clock. And as this little six-year-old kid, I was petrified. You know, I have a six-year-old daughter now, and I can't imagine leaving her in the house, you know, from the time school was out until eight or nine o'clock at night. But because we couldn't afford to pay a babysitter, that was basically my mother's only option. And so what I did was I formed that foundation to provide services and different things that single parents, single mothers or single parents may need because I really understood that struggle firsthand. And what I did was I committed at that time 12 to 15% of every check that I've ever received in the NFL, I've. I've uh, either donated it to, ch- to charity or put some of it in that foundation, and now I do 20 to 25 percent of um, every, everything that I, I make.
1: That is just tremendous, Curt- Curtis. Uh, again, folks, check that out uh, online the Curtis Martin Job Foundation, uh, where they provide financial aid, support to single moms, uh, children's charities. Uh, individuals with disabilities and uh, low housing, low income housing providers. Curtis Martin Job Foundation, a very, very worthwhile cause. Now, getting back to the Hall of Fame, uh, Curtis, uh, mm-hmm. you you went in with your with your really your mentor, Bill Parcells. That had to be a tremendous uh, honor for both of you.
0: Well, we we went in. We we went in one year apart. Actually, um, I went in the first year, and I was hoping to go in with him, and he came in the year afterward. But just being, you know, one of the highlights of that situation was, you know, for the first time I was able to call him a rookie, you know, and, and we both got a little <laughs> kick out of that. <laughs> you know, I said, welcome, Rook. You yeah. Know, and he, we just laughed at one another.
1: The great Bill Parcells, yeah. Do we wish he would have stuck around a little longer with the Jets, man? <laughs> I tell you, now. Yeah, yeah. Your your speech, Curtis. Uh, I listened to it. What a, what a tremendous speech! How how did you go about writing that? That must have really come from your heart.
0: Uh, well, I didn't write it. Um, it's funny that you know when I had notes uh, that I was planning on using. And when, after we unveiled my bust, mm-hmm. I looked at Coach Parcells, and I said, Coach, I'm not even going to use my notes. I, I said, I'm just going to speak from the heart. You know, the, the fans who know me, they don't know me the way I want them to know me. So I'm going to be very raw. It's either going to go very good or very bad. And, you know, I think it turned out pretty good. It sure did. It sure did,
1: Curtis. Curtis Martin with us tonight. Uh, the Jets, of course, retired number 28, and uh, you're in the ring of honor with with uh, Joe Namath and the rest of the guys. And uh, what, what I find fascinating, Curtis, is that in 2013, you were added to a committee to uh, develop the conduct code uh, by Stephen M. Ross following that hazing incident with Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin. Uh, how did you work on that committee?
0: Um, well, the thing is is that I knew Matt Higgins. Matt Higgins and I were really good friends, and I had spoken to Stephen previously because I was interested in the Dolphins.
2: <clears throat>
0: and so it was more so when the situation happened. He just told me that I was someone that he respected uh, my opinion and wanted to uh, – you know, run something by me, and it, it led to, I believe, them forming, the you know, the foundation, and uh, it, what it is today is rise, and, you uh, know, mm-hmm. they're doing some pretty good work.
1: Yeah. Um, who would you say, Curtis, was the best quarterback you worked with? You worked with, with several good ones. Who would you say was the best guy you worked with you enjoy working with?
0: Um. Well, Vinny and Chad, the, the, those were my guys. Uh-huh. You know, they both were like it, it would be hard for me to choose one of them. Uh, you know, I, unfortunately, I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with Vinny because he had gotten injured, right? Uh, and I spent more time with Chad. Uh, but uh, you know, I wish Vinny would have wouldn't have gotten hurt that year. I think that would have been a year that we, you know, at least went to the Super Bowl. Uh, I, we had everything going in our favor. It was it was really Let down when he got hurt.
1: That was, that was terrible. I remember that. I was at Raymond James Stadium, uh, watching the, the Giants and, and the Bucks on the the opening weekend. And I had a jet shirt on and some guy stopped me and said, Hey, did you hear about Vinny Testaverde? He blew out his Achilles. I was like, that was my feeling too, Curtis, is there goes the season because you guys could have gone far that year. Yeah, the
0: worst thing, the worst thing about it was that. He blew his Achilles trying to recover one of my fumbles. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I felt bad about that.
1: Now, uh, looking at the Jets today, Curtis, if, if we, we're forced to, uh, how do you feel about the coaching change that took place uh, hiring the new man?
0: Um, you know, I think it's good. Um, again, I think that we'll see. You know, and and, you know, Coach Parcells used to always say, "You know, the jury's out." You know, Um, the jury's still out on you, you right? And 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 the point, you know, he was making is that you know, in the NFL, you always got to prove yourself. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what you did last year. You know, every year the jury is out. So, um, uh, we'll see. But uh, you know, if they were making a choice, I think they made a really good one.
1: Okay, do you feel Sam Darnold? should be kept and should should be uh instructed in the new regime or do you think they might be better off trading the guy and let him start anew somewhere else
0: uh you know outside of getting trevor lawrence i think sam Darnold should be the quarterback i i would like to see sam with a great uh system with you know Great blocking with a great cast around him. I, I, because I do think that Sam is a good quarterback. I just don't think that we've been able to see him uh, see what he's capable of doing.
1: No, I agree, Curtis. And I'll I'll say it. I think he was ruined by by uh, Gase. I really think that that uh, he took some steps backward in his career under the Adam Gase regime. And uh, we will. uh well, you know,
0: uh, go uh, the, system, the system, as well as, people, you know, a lot of times from a fan's perspective, uh-huh. you don't realize how much one or two good blockers, are, you know, you know, that extra receiver that's really good, that you know, makes the defense play back, or that all of those little things make such a big difference. It's like when you're a running back and your best lineman gets hurt or two of them are out. I mean, and you don't have the same type of blocking. And a lot of people will say, you know, the running back is losing a step. But it's really that that blocking makes that much of a difference. Right.
1: Uh How do you feel about the NFL? How, how, how was it run during the pandemic? How, what did you think of football in the pandemic in America?
0: Well, I'll tell you this. Without being in a bubble, I don't think, Roger Good- Roger Goodell and his staff could have done any better of a job. I mean, mm-hmm. to pull off what the NFL pulled off this year was was I mean, I don't want to use too strong of a word to say miraculous, but <laughs> I mean it was amazing that the season has made it this far under these circumstances. Yeah, I think, I, so I, think you're right. I really give a lot of credit to Roger Goodell and his leadership this year.
1: It gives us hope that maybe baseball will will put in a full season as well. That's what everybody's hoping for. Well, what keeps you busy these days, Curtis?
0: Well, you know what? Let me let me just comment on that. Yeah, sure. When Go you ahead. Think about it. When you think about it, you know you have a, 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 a league like baseball or any other sport, mm-hmm. and you know there's a. a you know, I think baseball they had to stop the season. If if I'm not mistaken, or or they had to, they they had some really hard times during the season. They
1: they stopped spring training. Yeah.
0: yeah. When you think about the NFL, it's probably the most in your face, you know, close up sport that there is. I mean, you're always on top of each other. There's great power and and there's more people on an NFL team, close to 400 people between two teams on the field. Uh, or that travels with the team and to make it this far and have certain protocols in place that has allowed the nfl to get this far i tell you it, it, to me it's one of the best jobs that i think roger goodell has done as a commissioner and i think that he's done a, a great job but this this year was outstanding to me
1: great points all curtis for sure now i was going to ask you what keeps you busy these days what are you what are you doing
0: Well, you know, outside of charity, my main thing is business. I mean, that was what I always wanted to do. And for me, the one goal that I had when I was playing, and I felt like it would be one goal that I could have that would take care of everything, and it wasn't to win a Super Bowl or it wasn't to be the leading rusher in history or anything like that, My one goal was to finish the game with a name that was more valuable than everything that I made while I was in the NFL. And um, I feel good about accomplishing that. And um, it's tremendous the way uh, a good reputation and integrity and good character can take you so much further than, you know, just being, um, you know, had I gone to Harvard business school, I, I, I think, that even if I was a Harvard graduate, I wouldn't have been able to make it as far as I have just through going through the NFL and finishing my career with a good name.
1: I I agree with you, Curtis. I have a friend of mine who uh, took his kids over to Hofstra uh, very very many times to uh, see the guys training and always said that Curtis Martin had time for the kids. He always took time out to take care of the kids and I I think that's something to be proud of
0: yeah yeah you know and, and those are the things that I'm really proud of um you know one of the things that nobody really knows is that when I first came to the Jets at that time they had to make me the highest paid running back in the league basically and um I came there and you know you're already in New York you know so there was a lot of attention and you know, I was coming from New England, which is not quite like New York. One of the things that I recognized is that a lot of people try to be humble, but very few people practice being humble. You know, and, and practice humility. <laughs> right. One of the things that I did just to keep my own—I uh, would just say my own mind in check, uh, and just to make sure I never got ahead of myself—was that. After everyone left, because I was usually the first one into the facility and usually around the last one who left. What I would do after everyone was gone is I would go and clean up the locker room like I was a janitor. You know, I would pick up all the trash. I would pick up all the dirty towels and wash, washcloths and everything and, you know, straighten up guys' lockers and different things like that. But for me, that was just my way of staying humble. And I, I made sure that I did that pretty consistently. Because, you know, I always tell guys, um, you know, if I had an enemy, knowing what I know now, if I had an enemy that I wanted to destroy, I'd just give him all the money, fame, and power that I could and just sit back and watch him destroy himself, you know, because <laughs> yeah. a lot of people, you you never realize the pitfalls and the dangers of having power and fame and money, you know. Um, You know, like they say, money just makes you more of who you already are. And I was determined to not allow money to change my approach to things and the way I did things and the way I respected and treated people.
1: A great example from a great role model, Curtis Martin. It's been an honor and a pleasure, Curtis. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to speak with us here on the island. Stay well.
0: Uh, You, too. Thank you.
1: That's Curtis Martin, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll see how high Ali Taylor can go these days. We'll talk some ABA and Nets. Stay with us, folks.
0: You're listening to Sports Talk New York. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, folks, we are
1: back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. I hope you like our new format here. We got a new logo, new site, new presence on social media, but, of course, the same Great sports talk coming from, from all our people here on Sports Talk New York. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I believe, are losing. Doesn't make me happy, but uh, at least the Jets aren't playing tonight. We'll keep the sports memories rolling along here. Our next guest hails from DeWitt Clinton in the Bronx. We remember him as the exciting ball player and great leaper that he was. A 46 inch vertical leap, this gentleman. He dazzled fans from Rucker Park to the ABA with his dunks. It's a pleasure for me to welcome to the show tonight, Ollie Taylor. Ollie, good evening.
2: Hi, how are you doing?
1: It's great to hear from you, Ollie. Uh, 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 Old net, and uh, we love the ABA. Growing up in New York City, Ollie, who were your favorite teams and players when you were a kid? Well,
2: actually, I was uh, more involved in baseball than I was basketball. Ah, okay. I've been a Laker fan. Lakers fan most of my life.
1: And uh, who was your boy on the Lakers? Elgin Baylor. Ah, good one, good
2: one. Why did I you pick Elgin? Elgin. Well, because Baylor close to Taylor. <laughs> <so> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right, okay. I've won number 22 all my career because of, that's the number he wore.
1: Because of Elgin, yeah. The, uh, a great guy to follow in the footsteps of. Now... In high school, you didn't start and you only scored six points I believe in your your entire career how did uh talk a little bit about your high school days?
2: Well, there wasn't much to it I only played my senior year well, let's say I was on the team my senior year and uh that was all that I had an opportunity to do yeah I didn't didn't get much playing time. Now, that didn't get any playing
1: time. Nate Tiny Archibald was on the team, correct? Yeah, we both sat on the bench. He sat on the bench, too. He was a junior and I was a senior. And then there's a Hall of Famer sitting on the bench, folks. So, yeah, just like Curtis Martin reminded us to be humble. uh uh, Nate was also one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history. I, I don't understand that. But uh there are stories, Ollie, about taking quarters off the top of the backboard. Now, <laughs> I talked to Darnell Hillman about this. Darnell says he can do it. Did you ever uh take the quarters off the top of the backboard?
2: No, I did not. No, okay. Okay. <laughs> And I've seen Donnell. I don't know if he could do it either.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to speak to him next time he comes on the program, Dr. Dunk, and see uh, about the quarters on the backboard. Now, you played a lot at Rucker Park, but you never saw anybody at the top of the backboard there
2: either, right? Nope, never did, never yeah. has. <laughs> That's something to the go The only for. ones I've heard to do it was uh, Chamberlain.
1: Wilt the Stilt, yeah. Well, he, he could do pretty much anything back when he was on the court. We're speaking with Ollie Taylor tonight on WGBB. Now, the 46-inch uh, vertical leap, you, you didn't just use it to slam dunk on people, but you really liked to rebound the ball too, didn't you?
2: Yeah, that was a fun part of the game. Yeah. That's something I enjoyed doing. And, you know... It was probably more of a curse than it was a blessing because that put me down playing center and forward because I could rebound.
1: Yeah, and you were only 6'2", so you, you probably got beat up a little bit down there.
2: Yeah, well, every every team I played with had a Hall of Famer on it, and they usually was the scoring forward. Big Barry, Julius serving, Billy Cunningham, somebody had to rebound.
1: And it was you, Ollie. Yeah,
2: definitely. We had
1: we had the doctor on the program last week, and he mentioned your oh, name. He? Yeah, he he's he mentioned Ollie Taylor, so uh, that's how I figured to get in touch with you through the retired players association. That's the, that's what I did, and uh, oh, okay. l- luckily we got you. Now we talked about Elgin Baylor that you em- emulated him. Now you didn't get any scholarship offers to play basketball.
2: Right. Yeah. Not with those statistics, (laughs) though.
1: Yeah, right. Now, you you went to San Jacinto. Uh, You set a a record there for points in the season. So you did well in junior college.
2: Right. Well, actually, I set a national record, which I think still stands today. There you go. Yeah.
1: I think, let's see, a 44-2 record, a national title in 67-68, uh, you set the the school's single-game st- scoring record, 53 points. There you go. <laughs>
2: you know much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: You ought to check yourself out, Ali. You did pretty well. <laughs> now, you, you were inducted into the N- National Junior College Hall of Fame in 1994. And to give the folks an idea, other members of that Hall of Fame are, are uh, Bob McAdoo, Spencer Haywood, who we talked with a couple of weeks ago, the A-Train. Artist Gilmore, LJ Larry Johnson, uh, guys like that. So, Ollie's in very good company there. And you spent your last two seasons, Ollie, at the University of Houston. And how did you make out there?
2: Uh, well, I led the team of scoring and rebound both mm-hmm. my years. I was there.
1: Yeah, the, and, uh, the Cougars, 25 and 5, you made it to the Sweet 16. Right. Yep. And uh, overall, I think you averaged twenty-two points, ten rebounds. Like you said, you let you led them in uh, many categories. The Houston Cougars. Yeah, that
2: was uh, the problem. Being there was I also ended up playing center. Yeah, you know, it
1: takes it something. takes a toll on your body, Ali. I know. I was the horse, too, that ran up and down. To, to play center, you, you know, the guards just, uh, come, come halfway back. The center's gotta go from under the basket to under the basket. That, that wears on you. Oh
2: yeah. Not only that, you know, playing against some, the bigger guys all the time. Right. And getting beat.
1: I know. Now, uh, Ollie Taylor's with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, you outjumped Lou Cinder who, of course, people know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You, you uh, out-jumped him for a jump ball?
2: Yeah, my junior, we played at the uh, University of Houston after they they had uh, beat Houston in the NCAA yeah.
1: the
2: previous year. And Houston stopped their, their winning streak, so I think they have after a little sweet revenge.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Now, you were drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA, but you decided to go with your hometown, New York Nets, right?
2: Right. Well, that was Cleveland's expansion year. Oh, yeah, right. And, uh, you know, I had a, went to uh, Cleveland to play in an all-star game there as a my senior year in college, and uh, a guy that, that was putting the tournament on had run out on everybody and left us all there. Ooh. With no hotel and no plane tickets or anything. So from then on I had a, I never wanted to go back to Cleveland again.
1: No. Yeah, there's no reason to go there, Ollie. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> now as kids, Ollie, we love the ABA playing out in out in the street, the run and gun style, the dunks, the red, white and blue ball the three-point shots, you had the Floridian ball girls under the under the backboard there. What's not to like?
2: Hey, uh, we were Showtime. We, at the <laughs> begin, you know, for for that league, we were definitely Showtime because we. I think the biggest thing was that everybody played above the rim. Yeah, and then in the NBA, they they didn't have that many players that could play above the rim, so. It's something new.
1: You, you, you with the Nets went all the way to the ABA finals one year. You got beat by Indiana. Right. Who was on Indiana at that time? Was Mel Daniels there?
2: Mel Daniels, Roger Brown. Roger Brown, Bill yeah. Mickey,
1: Freddie Lewis. Neto, yeah. yeah a a good and one uh, one who was the the coach was Slick Leonard, right? Slick Leonard. He was a great coach, great coach. Now, Ollie Taylor's with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. You were traded to San Diego, who folks may not know. The name of that club was the Conquistadors. And you had the best, that's when you had the best record in uh, your ABA career was with San Diego. Why did you flourish uh, out there? What was it about uh, the the Conquistadors that uh, made you really uh, excel?
2: Well, it started with the coach, which was uh, Casey Jones. Oh, yeah, okay. The late Casey Jones. He, uh, I reported training camp late. And, uh, when I got there, he just, uh, you know, threw us out there and he said, you know, go play. Mm-hmm. And he let you do what you did best. That was the good thing about playing for him. He let you be yourself.
1: The great Casey Jones, folks. The great Boston Celtic. Uh, right. You had said, Ali, that uh, the biggest thing for playing in the, in the ABA is you got you've got to play against guys who became mega stars, like as you said, Doctor J, uh, Rick Barry, who we've we've had on the program, Billy Cunningham, uh, and as we said, the Doctor. So many great ball players. Uh, talk a little bit about some of those guys.
2: Well, I played with seven Hall of Famers at one time or another. Amazing. I started out with uh, Archibald in in high school. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. went to the Nets. I started out with Rick Barry. Then I went to Dr. J. Right. I played with Billy Cunningham. And a lot of people don't know that in 1968, after we won the junior college national championship at San Jacinto, we didn't have a guy on the team. In fact, we had another Long Island guy there, Jeff Halliburton. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was on the team with me at San Jack. He was our tallest player at 6'4". Six, six wow. And uh, then they they put together a junior college Olympic team. And not not many people know that. When the NCA allowed the junior college
0: mm-hmm.
2: to put an Olympic team in the in their Olympic trials, nice. And that's that's when I met Spencer Haywood. He has a lot of good things to say
1: about his Olympic experience, Spencer. Uh, of course, the yeah. guys won the gold medal, and uh, they had some terrific ball players on on that Olympic team as well.
2: Right. Now you, we competed as a junior college team and beat two NCAA teams.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. That's pretty good, Ollie. Yeah. We got Ollie Taylor with us tonight, the great ABA star from the New York Nets. And uh, let's talk about the Rucker League, <laughs> Ollie. Um, how did you get involved in that? Did you just walk on? How, how did they get you in the Rucker League?
2: Um, I went in with with Peter Vesey. Oh, ah, okay. That's right. He asked, he put a team together and uh, asked me if I'd play with his team because I knew Peter from, you know, covering the nets. Mm -hmm. And so I told him that I would and he said, you know, anybody else that might want to play that, you know, is pretty good. Yeah. And I showed up with the doctor. (laughs) There you go. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the, I think yeah. On, on your team, Ollie, you had the doctor, th- the great Bob Butterbean love. Uh, here's some names for you folks. Charlie Scott, a great ABA ball player uh, for the Virginia Squires. Of course, the whopper, Billy Paltz, who we've spoken to on the show before. And here's some names from the Nets. Manny Leeks and Joe Dupree. Dupre. Uh, who who right. out there remembers those guys? The, then you're really getting
2: into Nets history, right, Ollie? Yeah, that uh, was uh, that was quite a group that we had together.
1: And then you talk about uh, a matchup between Charlie Scott and a guy by the name of Pee Wee Kirkland. Uh, they had quite a battle, didn't they?
2: Yeah, we actually went and stood on the sidelines and let them play one on one for a few minutes. Full court, yeah. right? Full court. Yeah. Oh boy. You don't want to do that too long. That's, that's
1: punishment. punishment. <laughs> no, yeah. Did you ever play in the cage uh, on West Fourth Street, Ollie?
2: I don't know uh, if it was built or
1: if that was up at that point, that playground. I uh, never never heard the name the cage. Okay, so. yeah, that uh, that's uh, a place on West Fourth Street where guys go to play. And uh the the history of the ABA, Ollie, it really starts with uh Spencer Haywood,
2: doesn't it? Well, no, I know, I think it probably started back when Rick Barry jumped leagues. Right, good,
1: good point, right.
2: And, uh, and, uh, also Joe Carwell. Jumping Joe. Joe Joe. Yeah. Yeah, when they, when they jumped, uh, to the ABA, I think that kind of bought the spotlight. And then, of course, you know, Rick coming to New York, that was big news for everybody.
1: Yeah. Remember him with the Nets for sure. Now, uh, during the merger, the great players going over to the NBA: the Iceman, Gervin, Dr. J, the A Train, Gilmore, and of course, people remember Moses Malone. You, you didn't, uh-huh. you didn't go to the NBA, Ollie? No,
2: because I was with San Diego. Yeah, and uh, I went to you know, doing that uh, year. No, I think when the league merged. And I had finished
0: playing.
2: Uh-huh. And I think that was in seventy six. And uh, that was my last year playing and when I played with Carolina and Billy Cunningham.
1: Yeah, Billy um, Billy Cunningham, another great name. Let's talk a little bit, Ollie, about your dunk on the A train artist Gilmore. <laughs> now that has to be one of the most incredible dunks that that anybody has ever seen. Uh, tell us the story, what happened there with Artis Gilmore.
2: Uh, it was a jump ball, I think. You know. uh-huh. It was a jump ball at midcourt. And I kind of caught the ball on the run. And I just went straight down the middle. Him and Dan Ipsil <laughs> yeah. was, was standing there. And, and what happened? Was, I just went up. Threw it down. That was, that was, I think it happened so quick nobody really knew what happened. <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't I don't think they knew what hit them, yeah. Uh, you got nobody the ball, drove in, dunked over Gilmore, and you dunked it hard. It was kind of like in his face. And uh, <laughs> that, that was pretty tremendous. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's on YouTube, folks. Try, try to search for it. I should have done that today. But Ollie uh, dunking on artist Gilmore. Uh, treat yourself, folks. Of course, Ollie Taylor with us tonight on the program. Now, do you feel the Brooklyn Nets, Ollie, should do a better job of uh, bringing back maybe some of the old New York Nets and keep them, you know, more as their history to uh, involve them in things?
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, the Knicks do. Right. You know, they've got their uh, former players all time uh, at the game. That's the hero Monroe. Uh, Fraser,
1: right, and of
2: course they had the big issues last year with uh, which uh, when they threw him out of the arena.
1: Oh, Oakley, so, yeah, yeah, Charles yeah, Oakley.
2: There's, there's not that many of us left, right? You know, now the the, the ABA, ABA
1: was ABA. it was a a treasured time in basketball. The ABA. People should embrace it for what it is and, and really uh, exult with these guys in the history of the ABA. Now, there was a guy, Ollie, in Freeport, Long Island, when you played for the Nets, um, he said you used to drive a Dodge Daytona. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I did.
1: Yeah. It was a Plymouth. Okay, yeah. And you, you used to go up to Centennial Park in Roosevelt and play with the guys up there.
2: That's the first time I met the doctor. He, had, he was coming out of school that year because I was already in the league. Uh-huh. And we met went in the park one day. And but, uh, Did you guys go at I it? Really, or? Yeah, we did. Yeah. It was kind of like gunfight at OK Corral. <laughs> Everybody just got quiet and stood on the side. Yeah. yeah. strange thing about it was that I had a guy on my team that wanted to guard him. He had a guy on his team that wanted to guard me. So we never, at that time, we never did guard each other. No. Yeah, just a pickup game.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's it, folks. Centennial Park in Roosevelt. When Doc was on the Squires, Ollie on the Nets, I guess you had to be there to see it. Another great piece of history. Now, I always tell kids, Ollie, tell me if I'm wrong. I always tell kids that the doctor was operating, uh, w- way before Jordan got here, and that he was doing that stuff before Michael uh, was even uh, in the picture, right?
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, Doc and and, uh, and so the You know, they're about to, what ten years, at least ten years difference.
1: Yeah, and uh, who else? And, da- David Thompson.
2: Yeah, him, too, also. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're way behind us. Mm-hmm. You know, just like we were, be, we were behind Baylor Fraser, and Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. You know.
1: Great guys. Now, yeah. throughout your career, Ollie, who was the best coach that you played for?
2: I played for some great ones. I played for Larry Brown, Casey Jones. Those are, those would be the top two on my list because they let you be yourself. Both Hall of they Famers, mean, yeah. Mean, yeah, I had about five or six Hall of Fame coaches. Rod Thorne.
1: Rod Thorne, yeah, there's a name for you folks. Kevin Lockery. Yeah, coach of the Nets. But I guess they won two championships under Lockery. Guy Lewis. Who, who would you say your best teammate was, Holly? A guy that you really got along with and uh, is was your man to this day?
2: Uh, well, me and Julius got along well. We, mm-hmm. we hung out quite a bit. Me and, me and Dr. Dave. We hung out quite a bit. Yeah. Because, you know, he we lived just blocks apart from each other. And then Jeff Halliburth, who's from Rockville, Rock Center, Rockville. Rockville
1: Center, yeah,
2: yeah. He—that's he, his cousin. Ah, okay. And I spent, you know Jeff and I played at Santa Center together. And I never—I never knew they were cousins until we all lived in the same area. Yeah, I, was, I lived in Rockville too.
1: Hmm. What, what would you so. tell the kids of today? Ali, how, how would you describe the ABA to to the kids today?
2: Uh, ABA, I think, would be the one that saved the NBA because at that time the NBA w- was not doing well financially. Uh, people weren't paying attention because they, you know, they, and like I said, their superstars were getting up in age. Nobody was playing above the rim. So when the ABA came along, they had the exciting players, the Iceman
0: mm-hmm.
2: with his finger rolled, the doctor, David Thompson, Spencer. We brought a lot of attention Yeah. to basketball itself, Artis Gilmore. And uh, I met Artis in, in junior college as well.
1: You yeah, know, he, so went, he went to junior college too, Artis Gilmore, yeah.
2: Right. Right, so well, that, that Olympic team we had, we we had 12 players. All 12 was junior college I'm talking about,
0: mm-hmm.
2: was drafted in the pros. And that we didn't even have Archibald, who's also in junior college and artist. So we could have actually won the Olympic trials with those two.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that would have been a nice addition to that team. That's for sure. What what was you would you say, Ali? Finally, your most vivid memory of your career, uh, looking back, something that plays in your mind to this day that you remember.
2: Well, the fact that I could play any position on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, and and it didn't start out like that because they just thought I was too small, but they would after we practiced and played a few exhibition games. The coaches didn't care where I played.
1: Yeah.
2: They just put me out there. Because I, I always felt... I wasn't a guard or a forward or anything. I was a basketball player.
1: Good point, Ollie. So it Allie. didn't matter
2: where you, wherever you put me. You know, because I played power forward. Uh-huh. Small forward. Or the bigger guards. And, you know, so there was never a question about that. Right. You know, the coaches didn't. They just would throw me out there.
1: And you did the job for sure. That's Ollie Taylor. It's been an honor and a pleasure having you with us tonight, Ollie. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to uh, your Sunday night. Spend some of it with the fans back on Long Island. Okay. You're still remembered that's by a sure. bunch of big kids. That's for sure, Ollie. The legend lives <laughs> on. Don't worry. <laughs>
2: Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you much.
1: That's Ollie Taylor, folks. Well, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Curtis Martin and Ollie Taylor, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you folks for joining us. And he's coming up next, so please stay put. See you next on my annual Super Bowl Spectacular show on 2-7. Watch for the guest list for that. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks.
0: Views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.